Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Education Hearts and Minds podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Smith, and each episode I interview a teacher, student, parent, or school leader. If you like what we're doing here, please share this show with friends and family, because together we can change the conversation in education. Allow me to introduce you to Brad Thompson. Brad is a history teacher in Washington, D.C., teaching high school history. He is also taught in New York City at a charter school and also at a Catholic school, and he grew up in New York City. So we really get into talking about Brad's background in teaching, uh, the different kinds of schools he's taught at today. I actually found it really interesting to talk to him about the comparison between charters and private schools and public schools and the different feels of those different schools. So without further ado, let's go to Brad Thompson. Okay, Brad Thompson, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I'm excited. I'm uh, finally living out my dream of being on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to you, Brad. I want to start with uh, a background question. I want to know about your upbringing, where did you grow up? Uh, basically, how did you become the person and the teacher that you are today? Um, how long do you have, Jeremy? Only an hour, right? <laughs> so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. I, I currently live in D.C., but I'm from Brooklyn, born and raised in Bushwick. Went to elementary school, middle school in Bushwick, in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn. And I was... I started out at a local private school. My mom and dad actually met at the school where I first started. Uh, they, my mom was a secretary, administrative assistant to the principal, and then my dad taught second grade. My dad is a Jamaican immigrant, and my mom is from Nicaragua. And they met at, at the at Junior Academy in Bed Stuy. Anybody, you guys can look that up. That was in in the eighties. You know, they started dating, and and out popped me. I was born in 88 and my parents kept me in, in private school through K through eight. Then after graduating from middle school, I went on to uh, Bishop Lachlan Memorial High School, which is a uh, relatively small Catholic school in Brooklyn. What was that transition like for you? From middle school to high school, it was tough. I had a lot of maturity issues, not in any any serious way. I was just you know, a little self-conscious, you know, anything that a 13-year-old boy would go through as they transition into high school. But I did have older brothers, you know, who really showed me and mentored me and were there as guides for me growing up. And how, and how much older? A lot older, actually. My next oldest brother is eight years older than me. So my brothers were, had done high school. They, they did high school in Brooklyn. They played sports. They were kind of like, kind of opposite of me. Uh, uh, they were athletes and co- super confident, good with the girls. And I just wasn't <laughs> like, so, you know, I was overweight growing up and shorter than everybody else and slower than everybody else. And, you know, that whole middle school transition was not too too easy for me. But as I progressed through high school, it got easier and easier. I started hanging out with a close group of friends and got involved in that, in sports. I started playing baseball, started losing some of the baby weight and started to come together. So I had a, a pretty, I had a good experience in high school, actually a great experience. I had great teachers and great coaches and counselors. So high school was a... Any, any, any particular coaches or teachers that 
come to mind? Oh, or? yeah. Mr. Pearson, he was my baseball coach my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, Ms. Proche was my PE teacher. She's now the athletic director at Bishop Lachlan. Mr. Foley, who was never my guidance counselor, but was just a, a very stable figure in terms of in terms of his connection with the students. Mr. Wood. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're still... I'm sorry. I was going to say, it sounds like you're still in contact with Yeah, I I try and and keep up. When I was working in Brooklyn, I actually, I started coaching and I coached against Mr. Foley and Ms. P. And it was actually kind of this full circle kind of thing. And it was was weird at first to be coaching against them. But throughout the years, the more and more we competed against each other, I gained a newfound appreciation for the work that they do. I know I'm leaving some other, Ms. Sheehan, Ms. Tufano. Ms. Sheehan was my Spanish one teacher. And my mom is Nicaraguan. I can't speak a, a lick of Spanish, but Ms. Sheehan made everyone feel like they could. Miss um, Tufano was my global one and global two teacher. She's actually the reason, one, the biggest reason why I became a history teacher, Miss Tufano. Yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about more about that then, about your, your path to actually becoming a teacher and why you, you chose it. Yeah. So I, wanted to go into IT at first. I went, I went to, after Lachlan, I went to St. Francis College and I picked up computer programming and I did not know. So this is, this is my space time, right? I, I thought that computer programming was designing MySpace pages, aka graphic design. I, what I really wanted to do was graphic design. I didn't, I didn't know that computer programming wasn't graphic design. So I go, I, I'm not a good, I'm terrible at math. And I didn't know how heavy IT, how math heavy IT was. I had no clue. I thought it was just like, you go on a computer and you click around the computer and you become good at it and you create what is now social media pages, but it wasn't called social media back then. Um, I, that's what I thought it was. And I was interested in that. But yeah, so I, I went into, I actually got into education randomly i i was looking for part-time work and a friend of mine from high school got me a uh, a job in westchester county up which is north of new york city at a at a camp for students uh with special needs and the the younger kids at the camp camp morty that's the name of it was i think they were all kids who were in foster homes and some of them had special needs and that camp was I think six weeks and each week was a different age group. And I fell in love with working with the older students. I, I like the younger kids, but they were very needy and they were in the woods and they didn't want to do anything. But the older kids were self-reliant. They participated. You know, I built close bonds with a lot of those kids. And I said, you know, I think I would love to do this full time like as my career. So when I got back to school that fall, I switched my major to uh, secondary education, and what? And how? And I'm sorry. Where were you in college, or how old were you? I was about school? 19. Um, and this is okay. So like early, early college, early or... to mid college, around my sophomore, sophomore year. That was sophomore year summer. So I changed my major right at the time where I was supposed to be getting really heavy into you know programming, and because you know, I had stuck with it for a year and a half, almost two years, and then I. When I had that experience, I said, I would not only need to make the change because that's where my kind of heart was taking me, but I felt like it was more sustainable in terms of the workload. 
because I also had to work through school and I was had a part-time job. So I didn't have that traditional college experience. So going into education was more sustainable. And I was, yeah, I was working in Greenpoint in Brooklyn, a, a neighborhood in, in, in Brooklyn. My brother actually was a director of a preschool for, for students with special needs. And I became a one-to-one aide for students with disabilities. That sealed the deal for me. What was it about that that sealed the deal? Because you just told me also that preschool or younger kids were not really your thing. Right. So it's so funny because in that job, I really felt the impact of my work. A lot of the students there were not only dependent on our care, but you could really see the growth that they were making because of the work that we were doing with them. But I still had... So what kind of... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just asked, what, so what kind of growth did you, did you see with them? Or can you tell me about what you saw? So a lot of the students were nonverbal and they were on the spectrum. And many of the students I dealt with were more on the severe side. So it was very, it was the most restrictive environment that I worked in, in the preschool. So it was six students, one teacher and four aides. And so it was, it was as many teachers as there were students because some of the students were of high need and some of them became more communicative. Some of the, their behaviors became more positive. There was just growth in, in all aspects. They find motor development, their physical development. It, it was great to see. And, and for young kids, a lot of them, one of the biggest challenges was potty training. And some of them started to go to the bathroom independently. And you know, if, if you've ever been a para working with preschoolers, you're just trying to foster that atmosphere of independence for the students. So they're not dependent on an aide or assistant as they progress through their school years, through their school age years. So it was good to see that. And, and that for me, I, I was a para for about three years, three, four years. And that was, a great, that was a great experience. I met a lot of great people. When you work in a preschool, you meet a lot of people who are selfless, a lot of people who are dedicated to the students. And I, I, I found a lot of great role models, a lot of great examples of what it meant to be a, a great educator at the, the preschools that I worked at. And then the next step after that was to go, was, you know, while doing that, that was my part-time work as I'm going to school. So I'm, I'm a preschool para, but learning secondary education as a major. One of the reasons why I left the preschool world and uh, special education world was to go into student observation and student teaching. Mm -hmm. So you had to end the, uh, end the preschool position. So. Right, right. So I had to, you know, take a little hit in terms of employment and, and really focus in on school because I was about to graduate. I observed at a Brooklyn public middle school, um, IS-155 in Brownsville, where I learned the most about teaching, probably even to this day, was at uh, the high school for health professions with history teacher, his name was Mr. Martin. And I'll never forget Mr. Martin. He was unbelievable. Mr. Martin kind of looked like, like the history professor that goes home and like lights up a pipe and sits down and reads a hundred papers a night. And like, that's his life. He was the man. I love Mr. Martin. And he was, it was, was he your lead teacher or were you just observing? Yeah, him? he was my cooperating teacher. So in a lot of student teaching experiences, a lot of teachers, student teachers don't get to teach. They just watch. And he let me, he just threw it all at me. And 
he gave me feedback where I needed feedback, and and it was it was a great experience. I also student taught at David A. Booty Middle School in Bensonhurst, so I observed and student taught at three places, and I had um, a really good cooperating teacher there, Miss Lasquadro. And what were the what were the things that you learned during student teaching? I learned three things. One, the relationships that you build with the students. Students don't see position and rank; they only see you, the person. I was able to, you know, get close to some of the students. They knew that I was a student teacher, but they did not treat me as I was some subordinate member of the school body. You know, I, I showed them respect and they showed me respect as if I was there for years, right? And I was only there for a couple months. So it taught me the importance of building positive relationships with the students. You know, now they talk a lot about social emotional learning and being culturally relevant when you teach, but that wasn't in no, no one was saying that back when I was in school. Like no one was harping on the, the benefit of forming positive relationships with your students. A lot of it was lesson planning and sticking to the standards and all of, you know, and there was nothing really that we learned about student relationships. People would say it in class. People would say, oh, yes, you should build positive relationships almost as like a duh, you should do that. But it wasn't kind of ingrained the way that it is now. So positive relationship building, lesson planning was the second one, and grading. With, with lesson planning, Mr. Martin taught me if, if your lesson plan is, if, if it goes beyond a, a napkin, it's too much. Your, your lesson plan should not be so involved that the students, it's too much for the students and it's unsustainable for you. And then with grading, I learned what not to do, right? Like I, I observed, this is like before grading was on Power School and Canvas and all this. And for, for everyone listening, Power School and Canvas are the grading software. It's way easier grading when work is online. Way easier. Because you don't, you don't, I call it paper death. You don't have paper death. I saw all of the teachers, their experience in paper death. It was just paper everywhere. And, and the grade books were filled with red marks, checks, minuses, little notes, this here, that there. And the students would always ask, where am I in class? Like no one knew. Like I remember in, in high school, I'd, I'd say to myself, like, I got to be on that homework last week. I've been showing up to class every day, so I must have an A. And then you end up with a C or something. Like kids did not know what their grade was. They had no clue of what progress was. So I now, I always try and keep the students and the parents, even if they don't have access to Aspen or or Canvas, Aspen is another grading platform. There's a ton of grading platforms. If they don't have access to those, I try and text or email or send a communication. Your child has a B, B cut, and they don't- To keep them. To keep them in the loop, yeah. And so you learn about, okay, so the grading and the lesson plans and the relationships, mm -hmm. and then you're carrying, and, and then did you move to DC right after that? After graduating, I went to Chris Ray Brooklyn, small Catholic high school in Brooklyn. It's a work-study model school. I'm sorry, can you explain what a, a work-study model school is? Crystal Ray, it's a Catholic school, so they have to pay tuition. Each student goes and works at a job site that spo essentially sponsors that student. And the work that they do at these different job sites subsidizes their tuition. So 
let's say, Jeremy, you're a freshman and I'm a sophomore. On Monday, all of the freshmen go to their different job sites and they learn different soft skills like taking a train and learning how to, to travel and keeping themselves organized. They get to work, they work a whole full day, then they go home. And then from Tuesday to Friday, Jeremy goes to school. So he has four days of school and one day of work. Then on Tuesday, Brad, the sophomore, goes to work. So I go to school Monday, Wednesday through Friday. And that work that they do, that job that they do. And there's a variety of companies. They Kids work all over from banks to everywhere that you could think of. YMCA, everywhere. They have different types of sponsors. And that, you know, like I said, subsidizes their tuition. So I volunteered at Crystal Ray Brook. And there's tons of Crystal Ray schools throughout the, throughout the country. There's Don Bosco, Crystal Ray in DC, Crystal Ray in New York. I was at Crystal Ray Brooklyn. I volunteered there for two years. First, I was an in-house volunteer through AmeriCorps. And then after volunteering, kind of met some great people, had some great housemates um, that vol I volunteered with. I I, that was one of the best experiences. That for me was my college experience because I commuted back and forth from school and I had a part-time job. So I never really got the dorm room go away experience, but this volunteer experience allowed me to have that with people from different parts of the country. The funny story, I am from Brooklyn. Crystal Ray Brooklyn is in Brooklyn, obviously. The school that we worked, volunteered at was in Bushwick. So I didn't live too far from where we actually, the volunteer house. So I, on a Saturday, blazing hot, late August, right before, or sometime in the summer before the school year, my roommates are, I had a roommate from UCLA, went to UCLA, another roommate who went to Notre Dame, and another roommate that went to Georgetown. I went to state school in New York. And so you could imagine I felt out of place in terms of the hierarchy of college experiences. So my roommates are coming from these more well-to-do situations. And I moved into our apartment in a shopping cart. And my, and my roommates, they must have looked at me like, who the hell is this guy moving into our apartment? They must have thought, as I was walking down the block, they must have thought, oh, I'm a guy on the, who lives on the block or something. And I moved in my mattress, my bed frame, and a TV in a shopping cart because I lived three blocks away. <laughs> so needless to say, that transition uh, was a little shaky at first, but it became a great experience at the end. So I um, ended up teaching there for the next seven years counting the two years of volunteering. And I coached uh, basketball, volleyball, and softball there. And it was a really, really great experience. When you were coaching, were you just doing uh, three sports, like fall, fall volleyball, winter basketball, spring baseball, or? It didn't start out that way. When the school was in Bushwick, we only had one team. We didn't even have a gym at the school. It was a small Catholic school. Actually, it was the same middle school that I went to, Our Lady of Lords, became Crystal Ray Brooklyn. Yeah, so I actually taught in my old middle school building, even though it was on a different name, under a different name. But that facility doesn't have a gym. Um, it only has a yard. So we only had a basketball team. We would commute to a community center and practice. And then we always played our games in the Bronx. So we were always traveling and commuting. Then the following year, this is 2012, 2013, we moved to East Flatbush. And we moved there because our school was expanding and growing. And that's when I started coaching year round. We had a gym, so we had a volleyball team. So I helped coach volleyball. And in the nature of Catholic schools is you volunteer yourself to help. The school, the staff is small 
and there's a lot of need. So you kind of just jump in. So you kind of like jump, jump in. in and and so the culture is that you jump in and volunteer to, to do for a year or two. A bunch of other things, coaching, yeah. maybe helping to teach some other classes, extracurriculars like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a perfect description of what Crystal Ray Brooklyn circa 2014, 2015 was like. 2013, 2015. It was very much, we are in this together. We got to make this work because if not, the ship's going to go down. So I helped out with volleyball. I helped out with basketball. I coached girls softball. Not of choice. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, Tell me about not, that. <laughs> so when we were in the, when we were in the old building in Bushwick, they, they asked, does anyone want to coach baseball or softball? And no one volunteered, including myself, for softball. I did not want to coach softball. I grew up playing baseball. My brothers played softball, competitive softball, but it's completely different from high school, middle school, girl softball. I didn't know anything about that. So I said, no, thank you. And I volunteered to coach baseball. But there were also five other guys that wanted to coach baseball. So no one was left to coach softball. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll coach softball. And I was in for a rude awakening. I had never coached girls up to that point. I've only coached boys and it's a whole different world. It's, it's completely different, e everything. Like how so, how's it? Tell me about how it's different. Man, where do I begin? Hmm. Especially when you have, and it doesn't matter any, whatever the gender is, it's like all of these girls never played softball. None of them ever. I, a lot of them didn't even know what hand they threw with. We didn't have a gym. We didn't have any facilities. We barely had a park across the street. You have to deal with early failure and trying to keep people motivated. And it was a lot. That first year coaching softball was, there were a lot of nights where I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, and I just didn't understand. I didn't know. Until we started playing games and competing against other teams. I noticed the girls, they started pulling for each other in ways that I've never seen young boys do. I think boys kind of charge forward without much reasoning. Like, <laughs> that sounds bad, but like I could run, like if I'm coaching boys basketball, I could run those boys for hours on end. They may complain, or they may wince, but they'll just do it because I'm yelling at them. But with the young, with, with the girls, I found I couldn't just yell and scream. Cause they would ask me why, like they would ask me smart questions and I'd be like, shoot, I don't know why I'm telling you to do this. Like there's no reasoning behind. So I had to really think, I had to really be in tune with how I was showing up in front of them every day. They were more in tune with who I was and how I was coming in into the space of practicing games from an emotional perspective, from a mental perspective. That is so different from coaching boys. And for me, that's why I appreciate about coaching girls is you have to be mentally and emotionally secure in yourself to give your best self to the kid. It sounds like they really helped you to learn to be a better coach and maybe even a better teacher too. Oh, yeah. I, I find that those first couple of years coaching softball were my, my, my true education. I learned more in those first two or three years than at any point in school. And then from Chris Ray, did you, what happened after that or... What, what got you to leave there, actually? <laughs> That's a great question, because I'm like, putting Chris Ray on a pedestal. 
for those listening, I'm going to use a sports analogy. So in football, let's say you draft this kid from college and the stipulations of your first contract is more geared towards the team's benefit as opposed to the player's benefit. You are not paid as much in your rookie deal, in your rookie contract. But you, because you're so happy to be there that you kind of just put your head down. And, but seven years in, I'm saying to myself, it's time to get off of this rookie contract. I want to one day not have a roommate, to one day be out on my own, potentially start a family. I can't do that on a rookie deal. I got greener pastures, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so it was a good thing for like a guy in his like, or in his 20s, right? But not... Not someone approaching their 30s looking for something more financially stable. And to anyone listening, I highly advise against leaving a job simply for money. I left and went to the world of charter school where I was not ready for that. I was professionally immature for that situation. I was emotionally immature for that, especially the first month of teaching at the charter school. So I went to Uncommon Charter School at Excellence Girls Middle Academy in Brownsville, more close to home than East Flatbush. So everything lined up, right? Like shorter commute, better pay, and a place where I felt like I could push myself professionally. Like I had gotten into a routine at Crystal Ray and I had gotten comfortable and I didn't want to get complacent. So I felt like this was the time to make a move. And man, they say you find yourself on the other side of fear. Boy, that was the most eye-opening teaching experience that I have, I've had. Not only because that was the COVID, I taught there during COVID, but just, I, I really realized I didn't know anything about teaching. I thought I knew, I thought I knew. After seven years of teaching and coaching and traveling and riding the train with the kids and getting to know the kids and building, I knew absolutely nothing about what it meant to be a good teacher until I taught at a charter school. What was it about that charter school that it sounds like a baptism and fire kind of situation? The expectations on the teachers were high, to say the least. And I didn't know how to navigate that level of expectation as a teacher. I came from an environment where expectations were high, but the community took precedent over everything else. Uncommon in the charter school war performance takes precedent over everything else. Despite the rhetoric, performance trumps everything at a charter school. And how is that performance? Is it measured in growth or is it measured, it's measured in, in student proficiency it's levels? measured or? in student performance and how the kids student performance, yeah, yeah. how the kids do on their tests and how the kids yeah. are, are progressive. And it wasn't that I wasn't able to see improvements or I couldn't foster those improvements as a teacher. I wasn't ready for the pace of it. It was go, 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 go. So like I, at, um, at Excellence Girls, I taught essentially pre-AP U.S. history to eighth grade girls. I, I wasn't ready for that at all. I thought I was. I mean, I know U.S. history, but everything from the teacher expectations to the language that is used to teach the students, to the language that is used when communicating with admin in terms of feedback, I was, and it, it was a healthy experience for me because I now take that everywhere with me. That one-year experience was so challenging for me and a good challenge for me that it now will influence wherever I go. But the expectation, it's a high expectation, high rigor, very heavy data-driven environment. And that, that is all charter schools or, or the ones in New York that I've come in contact with. So if someone were to go into your classroom in Crystal Ray versus your classroom 
at Uncommon and just like watching you teach the actual in the classroom teaching, did that look different? It's funny you say that because one of the charter schools were supposed to be the intervention. This was the plan. Like this is the master plan. Now, how charter schools actually conduct themselves on a day-to-day basis with that goal in mind is very different from anything that I think people who are not familiar with that world is used to. Very strict discipline. Everything is tracked from the kids going to the bathroom to the amount of times they raise their hand. Everything. Everything that you could fit. So super data-driven. Super data-driven, super strict discipline. If you were to walk into... I think the place where you see the most differences in the hallways of a charter school. Students are walking in a straight line, they're completely silent. That silence is being reinforced by teachers and administration. Even doing class transition, you're graded on a rubric as a teacher. Everything is watched and assessed and scrutinized to the point where some teachers get overwhelmed by it. You said you were there for a year. Do you know, I mean, what was the the teacher retention rate like at Uncommon? Very, very low because it's long hours, long planning, but you said it also it, you said it also like turned you into a better teacher it sounds like. Yes, it did. The instructional strategies, the techniques, how you move in the classroom with the student is for me that was the most beneficial part. I had a great coach at and when I think about it, I reflect back on it. I had great administration. My coach, my instructional coach and my principal really pushed me to be better. And the dean of students was phenomenal as well. I just think that in that high pressure cooker environment where people are there from 7 to 7 p.m., um, like the principal didn't leave the school. She just didn't leave the school. She was there all day. And to alleviate that stress, I started, I just like I did at Crystal Ray, I started helping out with the, the middle school girls basketball team there. And that was a great experience also. I helped very briefly with JV middle school girls. That's fifth and sixth grade and varsity was just seventh and eighth. That was a unique, that was a very humbling experience coaching those girls because they were a lot younger than I've ever coached. But in terms of my instruction, I feel like my instruction, I owe a lot of the good that I'm doing now, attempting to do now in the classroom to my experience at Uncommon. And then more so my involvement, my community involvement, my relationship building with students um, to my experience at Crystal Ray. You said actually that your experience at Uncommon was also during the pandemics. Just to clarify the school year, was it the 2020, 2021? It was 1920. 1920. So, so basically the pandemic is starting at the end of that school year. I am curious, actually, how did that disruption look? So March, it's March 13, 12 or 13, we get the word that this pandemic is actually a real thing, right? And yeah, in New York, in New York, yeah, or it's definitely a real thing. Yeah. I forget why we had the, the girls in the gym, we had our eighth grade team, and the classes were all on one floor separated from the rest of the school. But on our floor, the, the gym was close. But anyway, we come back into the classroom and the announcement is, is it going to be a two week break of school? And I run upstairs and I make the copies for the girls. So I make the copies for the girls. I say, all right, all right, ladies, I'll see you guys in two weeks. Stay safe. I have not seen those kids again. Wow. Because you, because you finished your job there and. I saw them. So, and, and then during the pandemic, because everybody's trying to figure this out. It was all asynchronous. It was modules online through Google Classroom, PDF sets, videos that were recorded by the like uncommon teacher leaders. And we pushed everything to the students. And then we were there for support. And, and to this day, I think uncommon really 
did a great job in how they managed, or Excellence Girls did, our school managed everything from the pandemic to George Floyd to every, everything. Even if, if there was, there were no synchronous classes, I felt like students felt supported and, you know, as best as they could, they shipped devices or hand-delivered devices to the girls who were in need. I think they really did a good job. What did it feel like to kind of have this happen? Uh, it was it was more bitter than sweet. Like it, it it was just because of the news cycles, but everything was jarring. Like you had Cuomo on every day, you had Trump on every day, and you're like, what the hell is going on? And you're just like, you're everywhere. And then I'm thinking about the girls. I'm like, oh my god, some of them don't have computers. If some of them are failing because of it, like it was just very jarring at first. And then once we hit a groove, people started getting used to things around mid-April, and we really realized we're not coming back. Like, this is not. Once that realization set in, I think people started hitting their stride. And we kind of got into a, a flow in May and June. We had a great graduation ceremony online. So it was good to see the girls in that capacity, at least. But it was more bitter than sweet. And it was tough. Don't get me wrong. Like, teaching, teaching at a all-girls middle school in Brownsville is hard. And you... Like it, it, it is hard. It was hard work, but I'm not going to sit up here and be like, oh, Uncommon was this and that. I learned a lot from that experience because, I mean, without that experience, I feel like I would have stalled out in terms of my professional growth, in terms of my instruction, especially. But it was, it was unfortunate to see how that ended the way it did. So you feel like you were a much better teacher at the beginning, at fall 2020 than you were at fall 2019. Yes, ver online. I yeah, well, yeah, that's right. You had I to go was, virtual in fall twenty twenty. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I I felt like I was ready to face a school year that was virtual, and it ended up all year was virtual from September to June. Thinking about that now is crazy to think that a whole school year was online. You had left on common at that point. So where did you where did you go in twenty twenty? My girlfriend Jeannie moved to DC. When the pandemic hit, I was out of New York. I went down. I I digitally nomaded to DC. I've always wanted to to because I wasn't coaching anymore softball, and because that part of my life was kind of moving more into the rear view. I had nothing other than family. Obviously, mom. I know mom probably dad this. My brothers. I had nothing else holding me down in New York. I was like. I need to cut out of here. Like I, I'm, I've been, I lived in Bedside, Brownsville, Bushwick area my whole life. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta move. I gotta go. I gotta go. So I, I came, I came down to DC. I got on a 1 a.m. bus on March. I got on, so March 2020. So there was no school after March 13th. I left for DC that same day at 1 a.m. I bought a, I bought a Greyhound ticket and went, came down here to DC. You have to remember the news cycle was was wild. It was like toilet paper's running out, food is gonna run out, there's gonna be no water. I stocked my apartment with what felt like war rations. I, I stocked my, my I stocked my apartment up and I was like, I gotta go down to DC just to, you know, stay with stay with her and make sure everything's good. So I book it down to to DC on the bus. And I stayed a week, went back, stayed a week, and I was back and forth, back and forth. But I, I started doing the majority of the living in DC in May. Early, really, I really felt like I really moved in May. 
but I was going back and forth and back and forth and still coaching, right? So like I also started my own kind of travel kind of in-house thing with the girls that I coach at Crystal Ray softball. And I was going back and forth. By that time, there was, we knew that there was going to be no season because the high school season got canceled. So I was going back and forth, still working out with them, training them, going home, see family and going back and forth. And then I had actually interviewed at a couple of places. And this is before the pandemic. I interviewed at KIPP DC and came down, did a demo lesson. This was in January, way before the pandemic. And they offered me a position. So I knew I had that in my back pocket, even before the pandemic. So it wouldn't be an issue transitioning. I also then interviewed at Roosevelt High School, Theodore Roosevelt High School at Petworth. And for those listening, KIPP the, the KIPP DC school is in, it's a Somerset location, so it's in Southeast, and this school's in Petworth. And the KIPP DC location was rebuilding, literally and, literally and everything else. They were rebuilding the culture of the school. And Roosevelt was one of those like kind of staple public, big public schools. And I saw the football stadium, I saw the track, I saw the gym, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm sold. Like that, that is what sold me on a school, honestly, because I did not want another experience like I had with Uncommon in terms of the time, the, the crazy expectations and the emails and the... Uh, I was just, I just did not want to deal with that. I just, I said to myself, I've already received my baptism. I'm not going to, I'm not going to move to DC and receive another baptism. So what was it about like the field and it just, what was it about those things that said, this is for me? I don't know. It just, the, in the neighborhood, like if, for those of you familiar with Petworth, it's a beautiful neighborhood. The neighborhood, I've never worked. So I worked in Bushwick, pre-gentrification Bushwick. I worked in Bushwick when it was going through the gentrification process it wasn't there yet and then east flatbush is its own beast right like that's a whole other area then in brownsville so these are not these are truly inner city urban schools in every respect so this is the nicest neighborhood i've ever taught in ever so that sold me the commute there's a you know the the train there's a train station very it was very easy to commute a lot of good vibrant young area so i said yeah let's let's make this make it happen and it was more of the community around the school and the environment the feel of that communal feel that was very much crystal ray like i described earlier is what drew drew me to roosevelt and then what what is it like teaching at roosevelt this year like right now it is interesting very it is it's one of the most interesting teaching experiences so i've never worked at a public school this is my first actual public school Right, because it was Catholic and charter and... All three have their similarities, but all three are vastly different. Like imagine a Venn diagram. The, the places where all three interconnect are, are font 10. And the, the, the rest of the, the circle is like Garamond, bold, italic, underlined font 72. They're that different. They're that different from each other, all three. So what, what was it about Roosevelt that you're like, oh, this is, I've never seen this before. You get the mix and the blend of the strong community feel at the school. What makes it different from Crystal Ray was where everybody is like jumping hoops to help wherever they can. Like there are people in that community that are firmly entrenched and that are as important as like the principal of the school. Like the basketball coach at Roosevelt is probably the most influential person at the school, in my opinion. 
he he just is and and those those people are vitally important to the school where in charter school world it was very corporate when someone came in in a suit they sat down in the office and they were the most important person in the school building on that day and then they would leave it was very hierarchical in terms of it felt like i was working at a corporate office at the charter school in the public school you you have that sort of feel but it's so big that you don't really feel the weight of the pressure on you. You like you have to make the best of your day every day. Like you have to come prepared. It's totally on you. I find that working at Roosevelt, people have expectations, but no one's going to be, you know, up your back telling you what you have to do. You have to make your own success at this at, within in my opinion. Where in Catholic school they kind of volunteer you that you should be all in. It's it's a, it's a different feel, definitely. I, I think we'll go to our last question now. So the question the question I always actually like to ask end these with because we're talking about teaching and schools and everything like that is just what do you like to actually do? What is your life outside of teaching and schools and and all of this stuff? That's it. I so the first year in DC, I love to go on COVID runs down by the Capitol. I call them COVID runs. And the Capitol, the National Mall was empty. There was no one there. It was almost like you had it to yourself. So I really, you know, started around April and May, definitely. I really started to enjoy that. So being active, exercising, I've always liked sports. Huge Mets fan, Knicks fan, just a, just a sports fan in general. Um, I've, I never liked reading growing up, but I love to read now. I, li- I like to read different books on different, you know, fiction, nonfiction any any good recommendations? The Heart and the Fist by Eric Greitens. My my friend Jim Redden, who I volunteered with at Krista Ray. Okay. Eric Greitens is a very controversial political figure now. If you look him up, he got involved in something. I think he's the governor of or the mayor of some somewhere in the Midwest. But before he became a politician, he was a Marine. He did a lot of humanitarian work. And he he sort of recognized that through his work as a Marine, he was more, he was more useful to the world, building positive relationships with the people he interacted with and helping them and empathizing with them and speaking to them. He found that being a humanitarian has more of an impact than being a soldier. So that I recommend The Heart and the Fist. I just read, uh, if you're into audiobooks, the Obama's book, um, Hold on, I'm gonna pull up my Audible right now. I am I've gotten into reading because of Audible. Because I I just don't have the patience to sit down and read sometimes. But I have some, you know, hard books. Um Ubuntu, you guys probably heard of the workplace books and like the self-help workplace books. Ubuntu is a good one. Um The One Thing is a good one. Um keeps you focused on one thing. Um let's see, what else? The inner game of tennis. I would recommend. Um, and then two more. Um, Legacy that follows the um, the story of the uh, uh, Australian um, uh, uh, rugby team, the Black Shirt. That's, I forget the name of the team, but Legacy by James Kerr is a good one. I said A Promised Land by Obama. And then the last one is uh, The Cubs Way by Tom Verducci. It's, um, it follows the 2016 um, Chicago Cubs when they broke the curse of the Billy Goat in 2016 and won their first championship. And it talks about how their coach, um, Joe Madden, how he fostered a, a just 
he took all these disparate parts and turned them into uh, uh, a really thriving team. And I, I, I take the lessons from that book and apply them elsewhere. So those are my book recommendations. So, so a lot yeah. there. So <laughs> a lot of reading there. Or listening. Thank you again for joining us today. And it's really been a pleasure having you on here. I think I've learned a lot myself. Thank you, Jeremy. This is cool, man. Anytime you want to, you know, have another chat on or off the podcast, this was fun. If you appreciate what we're doing here, then please share this show with friends and family. And join me again soon for another episode of Education Hearts and Minds.